everybody, and welcome to Comic Club, your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. I am your host, Blaine McGaffigan, and I am joined, as always, by Adam, Adman Cook. Hey, Blaine, great to be here. Great to have you. We are streaming today live from Comic Club Studio Headquarters. Each month, we read a new comic or graphic novel and break it down on the show. This is our spoiler-free, shorter episode where we introduce the book we are reading and chat about our first impressions, including The Bare Bones, who this comic is for, and judging a book by its cover. This month, we will be reading the Marvel event Siege. Adam, give us The Bare Bones. Siege is a big crossover event that finds Norman Osborn leading a new version of S.H.I.E.L.D. as the Iron Patriot after the events of Secret Invasion. And now Osborn is going to undertake his biggest plan yet to try and take over Asgard. So Blaine, why did we choose Siege for this month? And have you have you read Siege before? Did you read it the first go round back in the day? So I'll answer that one first. I have not read Siege. Oh, I've not read it. And I'm going to kind of talk about that whenever I talk about the whole history here. But Okay, we we're both ch- going in fresh. That's right, both going in fresh. We chose this one because we face this kind of dilemma. How do we talk about Marvel Comics? They don't have the iconic graphic novels that our friends over at DC does, like The Dark Knight Returns and Year One and all these like really limited hardcore graphic novels. So if you've been following along the comic club, we're going on this journey starting with Disas- or starting with House of M. And which is kind of like the modern age of Marvel Comics here. And the history goes something like this. It goes Avengers Dissembled. That's when Mark Miller and Brian Michael Bendis start to kind of like take over the Marvel Universe in a lot of ways. And they introduce a lot of chaos and discord. And that's something as I was kind of like reading up on leading up to Siege, what all happens is a lot of dissembling and a lot of chaos and all these bad things happen. So House of M, it ends, go back and and listen to our episode on House of M. We cover it. It has Olivier Coipel, the artist on Siege, also does the art on House of M. Essentially, it's an alternate dimension where Scarlet Witch, and spoilers for that, um, casts a spell where she says no more mutants, and there are no more mutants that can be born across the Marvel Universe, right? Then Civil War happens. And when Civil War happens, Avengers get uh, fractured. And you have the new Avengers who are underground with Captain America and Luke Cage and eventually Spidey versus and against Iron Man and the people who are uh, among the Superhero Registration Act. And so you have them over here. Then that leads into Secret Invasion. And Secret Invasion is the last Marvel event book that we read over at Comic Club. I encourage you all to go back and listen to that. But I'm going to pass it to Adam to kind of give a quick overview of that as we lead into Siege here. So Secret Invasion, if you didn't watch the most recent Marvel uh, Disney Plus series, which I'm guessing you didn't based on the numbers... Secret Invasion is about just that. Um, Essentially, there is the Scrolls, who are an alien race, and after their planet is destroyed, they kind of become these intergalactic refugees. And through a series of events, there's kind of a sort of uprising um, within the Scroll people, and 
they're a shape-shifting alien, so they start to infiltrate the superheroes of Earth. And they basically um, are able to, you know, just completely replicate them. And uh, it's several several years kind of in the making. It's like a deep state kind of plan that happens. And it it's suddenly revealed when one of them dies and uh, their true kind of, you know, form is exposed and... At that point, like you were saying, there's a lot of discord that starts to happen, a lot of disassembling and fracture, like fractures amongst the groups of of superheroes, a lot of distrust because all these people are starting to be revealed as having been scrolls in disguise and um, you know part of a, a larger sort of conspiracy to essentially take over the planet and make Earth their own. So. Through this, a lot of fighting happens um, both amongst the superheroes and against the scrolls as well. And it kind of all leads up to, you know, a massive battle, lots of distrust and uh, a group of supervillains actually teaming up with superheroes to stop the scrolls because they realize that, you know, having an Earth is more profitable than not having an Earth. I think that's actually a direct quote from uh, the Hood, who's one of the one of the supervillains that joins that uh, team up. And at the end of the day, the victory is led by Norman Osborn, who kills the leader of the Scrolls and um, essentially becomes the new head of shield and Norman Osborn is at this point, he's the iron Patriot. So if you don't remember the iron Patriot is kind of a iron man, uh, you know, kind of knockoff that was started by, um, Rhodey, uh, you know, Tony Stark's friend was one of the, I think he was the original iron Patriot and it's been a suit that's kind of passed down and different people will take up the moniker the same way that, you know, Captain America has been different people and, and Iron Man's been different people. So at this point, Norman Osborn, he's got this suit. He becomes the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's kind of a uh, a situation where there's a semi-militarized state going on because there's just this, this fear and distrust. And so people are sacrificing freedoms in order to feel more security and protection. And Norman Osborn is just lapping it all up you know he's obvious like he's always got a a plan he's always got his own fish to fry so he's just accumulating power and striking alliances with whoever benefits his plans the best and uh, he forms this kind of super group of course he forms a super group of super villains and um, they call themselves the cabal which is pretty sick name for a group of bad guys and that's got that's got emma frost that's got dr doom namor loki and um and our boy the hood of course can't have a good superhero supervillain team up without the hood i don't know much about the hood do you i don't know anything about the hood but i just like his name and i like it, i like saying the so hood. so i, I kind of like quickly kicked on uh clicked on his wikipedia and I read something about Dormammu. So I'm like, okay, he was and maybe trying to be the Sorcerer Supreme. But I, what I remember about him is he was kind of like the kingpin of crime at the time. So maybe he overthrew Fisk or whatever it was, but he was like the big bad. And we haven't really seen him 
in in my reading since like the Bendis run. Like I, I don't know yes. what the there, going on. There with the was hood. a big part of uh, Secret Invasion that had to do with Electra and the Hand, and so I I bet they're all kind of interconnected that crime syndicate world. But um, so that kind of leads us into the next event, which was the Dark Rain yep. storyline, and so. Like whenever I great overview, I love hearing it, and it was really fun for me to kind of like go back and read about old Marvel, and I was picking and choosing on some comics, and I was like, "What a great, great era!" And I was just thinking, "Why wasn't I reading?" I remember when this was coming out and on the shelves at Austin Books and Comics, and I must have like I was just trying to Google like. What was happening over at DC Comics whenever Dark Rain was coming out? Because I must have been over there. And I was thinking maybe it was like Blackest Night or maybe kind of some of the Jeff Johns Green Lantern stuff. It must have been. But I remember going to Austin Books and Comics and it was after Civil War. And I was kind of like, I loved it so much. And I started to kind of like get a little burnt out. I didn't read Secret Invasion when it came out. And I didn't read this. And I wanted to pose your first question back at you. What were you doing? You didn't read this. Were you an active comic reader at this time? Did you make the decision not to read this? Or, or what was kind of your, your what was going on with you at the time? I think this was kind of the period where I really was out of the game. I, I was very active during Civil War. That was one of the last times that I remember feeling like I was really caught up with the current storylines in Marvel. And I I was enough enough uh in the loop on Civil War that I was reading some of the, you know, some of the tie-ins. I had already been reading those series. I remember I had been reading the Wolverine series uh, specifically during Civil War. And so that was super fun to be involved with that. But then there was just kind of a time where I don't know exactly how it happened, just fell off, had to tighten the purse strings a little bit when I was in my real dirtbag, dangerous era. So any, any, cuts I could make to the budget I was uh I was making so I think that was probably right around that area era and doing the doing the monthly is just wasn't in the cards for me at that point totally get it um I think we're going to look back this era and you know this is we're already at 15 years ago I think we're going to look back at this Bendis era which leads into kind of you know I know Matt Fraction does some stuff here um Hickman's starting to pick up some stuff in the next event series that's going to happen. And I think we're going to look back on this as truly like a special time in Marvel Comics. I think there's so much here and already so much that, you know, MCU has borrowed, right? This is... This is like the era when Ed Brubaker is writing Captain America, right? There is this is the J. Michael Straczynski Thor is going on at the same time. Like there's just some really iconic runs. And, you know, whenever you said Dark Reign is what happens next, and that was I wanted to catch all you listeners up on what happened on Dark Reign. And Dark Reign wasn't as much of an event as a era. And that's something I think Bendis did really well, is he branded eras of Marvel Comics so you could remember what was going on. And so Siege is preceded by Dark Reign, which I'm going to give you an overview of. 
And then it's succeeded next with the Heroic Age. And the Heroic Age, for all intents and purposes, was kind of like New 52 before New 52. Not as dramatic, but it launched all new number ones. So New Avengers ended, Dark Avengers ended, all these comics ended. And it was like, great, now the band's back together and we're going to start the Heroic Age. It wasn't an event. There wasn't a Heroic Age main comic book. Same thing with Dark Reign. There is no Dark Reign, like, one through six. It's just... This is what was happening on Dark Reign. And I kind of love that Bendis is such a great marketer and such a great brand builder that he can just kind of create these iconic moments where he shifts the whole Marvel universe around his concept, right? Like everything is impacted by what's going on with Norman Osborn here. Like every book line, right? It's not like they're all tie-in issues, but it's all connected. And that was a really special time. Yeah, it's all he makes it all part of the world. Yes. And it's it's all kind of important. Everything is everything is important in the world. Because big things can happen. Because it's not the status quo. It's not the regular Avengers. It's not Nick Fury in charge of Shield. It's totally different. You have Green Goblin running the show. So let's talk about it. As Adam mentioned, you have the Cabal, which is kind of the dark inverse of the Illuminati, which was also a, a Bendis invention, right? The Illuminati is kind of like the Reed Richards, the uh, Xavier, T'Challa, all the core like good guys that run the kind of good side of the universe. He also starts a team called the Avengers, but... It's a title called the Dark Avengers, and they're all dark analogs. And so this team, Adam mentioned, he himself, Norman Osborn, is the Iron Patriot. You have Venom, who can kind of like be a black suit Spider-Man. You have Hawkeye, but it's not Clint Barton. It's Bullseye as Hawkeye. You have Wolverine, but it's not Logan. It's his son, Dakin, as Wolverine. You have Sentry, which I just don't know anything about Sentry, and whenever I was looking at it today, I was like, oh, Steven Yin is playing Sentry in the Marvel Universe? I kind of, in the MCU, I kind of forgot about that. That was a casting announcement in Thunderbolts. And I was like, oh shit, like Sentry is going to, I don't know if he'll be important, but he's going to be in the MCU. So, you know, it's kind of relevant. And then lastly, we have a Miss Marvel here and it's some character named Moonstone. She's a villain. And so it's not the real Carol Danvers. So he has this dark analog of the adventures. Okay. So what I wanted to cover is where are the good guys before we start our story? What are the good guys doing? You have the new Avengers are still in hiding. You have Bucky Barnes, Captain America, Spidey. Clint Barton is Ronan. You have Luke Cage, Mockingbird, Spider-Woman, Miss Marvel. Just, you know, they're all underground hiding out right? Um, The X-Men are on an island. By the time Siege kicks off, Emma Frost and Namor are at odds with Norman Osborn. I don't know exactly the incident that caused it to happen. I think it was because Norman was like being mean and declaring war on the X-Men, basically, the mutants. So Namor and Emma Frost kind of like fracture off of the cabal that Adam mentioned and are against him now. And then lastly, the two other points I just wanted to mention as we get into it, Steve Rogers in this time has died and he's come back. So he's back and he's ready to fight. And you have Thor who uh, was not alive during Civil War, but was alive during Secret Invasion. And he's brought all of Asgard outside of 
Braxton, Oklahoma. It's just Asgard is just floating above this like cornfield in Oklahoma. And I always remember that era of Marvel Comics too. It was just some some great art there because Koipel, our boy, was doing a lot of art there. Then J. Michael Shasinski, I was reading that at the time. But so hopefully as you're kind of jumping in, it took a lot of sort of research for me to transport my brain back to 2009 because, you know, that's a long time ago. But um, it was kind of like a fun journey. I hope you enjoyed us kind of like um, passing you along. I want to throw it to you real fast before we move on to who this comic is for. And just kind of like, you know, your experience with Bendis. We've we've been reading a lot of these Marvel, these Bendis comics over here with these Marvel events. And I kind of wanted to get your take on whenever your, your first impressions of rereading some Bendis and how you think about him as a creator. I just think, like you said earlier, that now when I go back, I I realize how many greats there were kind of when we were coming up as comic book readers, how how great the the Marvel scene specifically was, because there were just some real big names writing for Marvel in those early years, like you were saying, with Brubaker, Matt Fraction. Brian Michael Bendis is the best example, probably, and and he is such a big part of this modern era and, and kind of laying the groundwork for so many things that just seem now are so firmly part of the canon, like bringing Bucky back, things like that, the Iron, you know, or the, the Winter Soldier, all that kind of stuff getting created when I, you know, go back to these authors, um, it kind of gives me a lot more appreciation and makes me think I need to just go back and, and read more of this stuff when they're writing for either Marvel or DC. Cause it's always like, I, it's awesome reading the crazy stuff that authors come writers come up with on their own, you know, when they do creator owned and stuff like that. But uh, it's really fun when they have to play within the sandbox of the big two. And so when you have the kind of perspective now that we have and, you know, knowing how important Brian Michael Bendis is or Ed Brubaker is um, as a writer, like how important they would be overall just for the medium of comics. It's it's cool. It's like, you know, going back to one of your favorite bands earliest albums or like an EP that you're like, yeah, here's the makings. Like we could tell it was all going to be there. And like, this is actually their first hit. And like, I love that. We didn't know it at the time, but man, it was cool. Yeah. Um, oh man, I love what you said there. And it's kind of like this feeling for me of like, again, you asked me, had I read this at the time? I'm like, no. And I was like, what was I doing? I know I was in the shop. I know I was buying comics. And there's kind of this feeling of like, you don't know how good you have it until you don't have it anymore. And you're just kind of floundering. And it, and it just kind of reminds me like when it's good, double and double and triple down on it and just kind of read it all and immerse yourself because reading it like back in time, kind of like we're doing now and, and listeners, I, you know, please join us and, and uh, we're going to tell you who this comic is for next, but uh, it, it is, it's not as much in the zeitgeist. And there was something really buzzing about going into the comics around this era and, you know, these huge changes were happening that really were impacting these, the universe, right? I think there became some event fatigue later where it's just like, ah, another event. Here we go again. This is going to shift the universe as we know it. But I mean, 
there were big changes here. And there were really big things that were impacting the universe in real ways. And it was just kind of really exciting. So I just wanted to kind of comment on that a little bit. I love what you said about Bendis. Let's move it on over to who this comic is for. This is where we break down who we think is the perfect audience for this month's book. If you find yourself in any of these categories, you have to pick it up. And if not, join the comic club and read it with us anyway. Adam, who is this comic for? This comic is for power-hungry, aspiring dictators. People who want to read the co- a comic that has the century in it. Wikipedia deep divers. Green goblin goons. Or fans of Willem Dafoe's Norman Osborn. <laughs> and Marvel completionists like us. So go pick up the book and read it with us. Let's judge this book by its cover where we like to imagine ourselves walking through a comic shop and happen upon the book sitting on a shelf. What do we think about the cover? What does it say about what's inside? How cool is the logo and everything else? Adam, take it away. We got a pretty good cover here for Siege, and I feel like kind of a classic cover of what you would expect for something like this. Big team up put the stars right up front. So they just, you know, smash you with all the heroes. We got Thor. We got Captain America. We got Iron Man. Of course, Norman Osborn is there. Of course, Loki's there. And it's just a nice kind of, you can tell there's uh, some team-ups going on. You can tell there's going to be a big battle. And to me, the art style really reminds me of that late, you know, 2000. 9 to 2012 era of Marvel where it's just like I, I don't exactly know how to describe it but there's something about it it's, it's, it has like a little bit of little painterly quality to it it's a little bit more artsy than kind of the the early 2000s stuff but it just um it's like right in this post the post civil war era and all in there that art just kind of screams like you know late 2000s to me yeah, and the costumes, too, are just really classic costumes on this cover. It's like whenever you think of Iron Man and Thor and Cap, that's what I imagine in my head. Those are like the, the, the OG-looking costumes, at least, you know, in my in my brain. The one thing I wanted to call out, I think you did a great job of kind of covering this, is just the branding. Um All of these Siege comics and tie-ins and trade paperbacks have this kind of like blue slash purple stripe on the side and they all just have the same siege headline and it was i mentioned bendis's great job at marketing and branding eras of comics and you just knew that whenever you walk into the shop every comic that is whether it's a mainline event comic or a tie-in has this big purple slash blue banner on the side and you just know it's all linked together and it just kind of creates that era in your mind it's great brand building it's great logo work and it's great like iconography so that's just one thing i wanted to call out and i'm really excited about doing the art awards in a couple weeks because olivia coipel just draws superheroes so well i love his art so much he's not doing as much interiors anymore he'll pop up on some some covers every once in a while and when he does i try to pick him up because i love the guy and um, i'm really excited about reading this book yeah me too just cracking it open the first bit of the first issue was uh, a nice little um memory refresher and so i'm excited to to read it and it's gonna be a quick little run only four issues so everyone come on and go go grab this get it on hoopla or wherever you 
have a library card and let's read some Siege, baby. That's right. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Like and leave a review and tell a friend if you enjoyed this episode. Join us in two weeks for our full, deep, spoiler-filled episode where we dive into the nitty-gritty of Siege. Adam? Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast, and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. <laughs>